Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falkenstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hello again. As well as culture critic and commentator Hamish Wood, joining us for the first time on the Film Fight Club panel. Hamish, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, Glenn. So there is one uh, slight thing we haven't mentioned, and that's... We killed Glenn... Uh, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> Whoa. Freudian well, slip. I'm right here, Chris. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Me and Hamish had a plan to gradually knock off the members of Film Fight Club until... And just take only over. We, yeah, exactly. But uh, we haven't gotten around to that phase of the plan yet. Virat's body is outside, bleeding out in the hallway. Yeah, well, actually... Oh, I hope, he, I hope he's all right. Uh, he's been uh, no, on... no, I, I, think he's, I think he's not all right. But he's, he's supposed to be answering phones. Oh, right, okay. Sorry, I, I got a bit of ahead of myself. First he answers the phones this episode, and then we kill him next week. Right, yes. I, yeah, hope, he's not, yeah. I hope he's not listening to this. I really hope he doesn't listen back to this episode, because Farad is outside taking calls, because we are doing, as promised, a major giveaway. We are giving away five double passes to one of the few films on the show that we all absolutely adored, and that was The Death of Stalin. Uh, don't get ahead of yourself. I, it's good, it's good, <laughs> okay. but I wouldn't say absolutely adored. Okay, they were. It wouldn't be Film Fight Club without me just, you know, being the voice of unbridled cynicism. Go and uh, see Death of Stalin. Yeah, go see. But, but, Speaking of unbridled see, cynicism, Death of Stalin. It is in cinemas shortly. We'll be giving away. It's a pretty cynical film. We are giving away five double passes to it. The first five people to call in on this number will be given as double passes. Virat is ready to take your call. That number is nine five one four. Nine five zero zero. That's nine five one four nine five zero zero. Call in, um, and you. If you're one of the first five, you will get a double pass. And it is. Oh, it's just such a fun movie, and it's in theme with what we're talking about tonight. Actually, Soviet chic. Soviet chic. Because we. That's. Oh, that should have been the tagline for Red Sparrow, which we are talking about later in the program. Yeah, or Atomic Blonde for that matter. Yeah, there's a lot of. It's the, coming back, right? It's the it's the new Cold oh, War. Oh, Soviet the, chic never went out of style. Yeah. You just weren't paying attention. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. But it, now it's in everyone's faces, you know, as the world pops up once again. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty blatant, as is the death of Stalin, which is in cinema soon. And that number is 95149500. We are getting on to Red Sparrow later in the program. But before we do, we are talking about the biggest event of the year in film. No, not the Golden Globes. We are talking about the Oscars. And what, I, I don't know, La La Land, you think it will win Best Picture this year? I think it might, I think it might be Moonlight. I'm just going to put in an early you know, call for that one and maybe maybe win big. We hope so. Uh, well, there are, so we are talking, as promised this week, about the Oscars. Not what we think should win. That was a previous week. We are talking about what we think will win. So it's fitting with the general theme of cynicism in this episode. You know, the (laughs) dreams of something good winning are going away, and now it's just being resigned to the way that they vote. Yeah, it's a weird voting system, actually. Um, It's different different based since 2009 for Best Picture versus the rest of the categories. Every other category except Best Picture is simply winner takes all. You get the most votes, you get up. Um, and but the Best Picture voting is kind of like how Senate voting, where essentially if no one gets a straight up majority. It goes down to the one of the least votes preferences, gets sorted out to the number eight, as, as there are nine nominees this year, and so on and so forth. When it rolls in a situation where, it, I believe, happened in 2016 with Spotlight, uh, the film that most people probably didn't place number one, but may have been second or third on a lot of ballots, did really well. And I think that might happen again this year. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. It's kind of like One Nation winning just through set of preferences. <laughs> it's just yeah. complete surprise for everyone. And we're probably going to see another, possibly another big surprise of the Oscars. We've seen quite a few surprises over the years. Crash in 2006. That was a crash. 
yeah. I was going to say that was a train wreck, but uh, it's more like a car crash. <laughs> car crash in slow motion. Slow motion yeah. with Matt Dillon saving a black woman, you know, to prove he's not racist. See, just, uh, just like Sam Rockwell yeah, in you know, sort of. Three, well, three, billboards. three billboards. Whenever I hear crash, I just, you know, I start thinking the other. The David Cronenberg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I start really wishing that. You know, we were talking about that one best picture that would be great you know david cronenberg was actually pretty upset with them he was like he said you know you can't just like use the name without without asking me now no one thinks about my movie i i think a lot of I people sort of i'm traumatized by that film yeah I, it's hard it, to it forget sticks in my memory so just next door at uts um i used to run the uts film society and in the year prior to that um it was the year following the best picture went for crash and they decided to hold a screening but they got the wrong dvd huh. so i haven't i still haven't seen this Cronenberg version of Crash. I don't really know what it's about, but I've, from everything I've heard, it's quite out there. Yeah. It's... Out there is one way. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but we are talking about the Oscars and what we think will win Best Picture. The odds-on favorite has been for a while through billboards. Shape of Water has been edging there in some of the polls. It's actually, I think this is one of the toughest to call Oscar races in quite a few years. Even though I, I hate on the Oscars all the time, for some reason I always get sucked into the predictions and, you know, ballad and... Um, I sweepstakes. I think, I think it's it's really tight between um, probably Shape of Water, Three Billboards, and Get Out right now. Like Get Out seems a little bit down the the list, but you know could easily be a dark horse. I'm well, dark horse. I'm really really skeptical of a Get Out win for a couple of reasons. One, historically, we've seen that historical films uh, is something that the Academy just adores. Yeah. So I'm really hedging my bets on Dunkirk. Just on the basis that it's one of those great American films. It's, you know, it, it, it's one of those films that promotes a sense of Americanness and a sense of being American. It's, uh, it's pretty British. Yeah, I know what you You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. There's an allegiance. Yeah, there's an exactly. Allegiance. And it's like, like it's yeah. a historical World War Two. World nostalgia. War Two. Everyone's a good guy. Film, whereas Get Out really complicates the narrative of who we are as. I think traditionally that's true, but I think the, this Oscars comes at a weird time where I think um, political engagement and being politically progressive is going to be more highly valued than it's been in the past. And it's becoming more and more of a, a concern for the Academy, I think, in recent years. And I also think if any th- time they're going to try to shake things up, it's now. On top of that, they hate Christopher Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to remember, Shape of Water is actually kind of shaking it up. This type of film, this genre mashup, a monster movie, would not have gotten nominated a few years ago. That's and true. And on Shape mm. of Water, I actually feel they could just take could take it because it kind of ticks a lot of boxes. It deals with a lot of the progressive issues and social issues which the Academy are talking about. But also, in the other crucial thing, like La La Land, like The Artist, like Birdman, it is a film about movies. And the yeah. Academy loves movies mm. about movies. So this could just do very well. They They like to be congratulated for doing what they do. They like um, nostalgia about the good old days of the movies. The, you know, The Shape of Water practically turns into the artist at one point. Well, I think, again, that's one of the advantages Dunkirk has. I mean, it's basically a David Lane film. With, In with some that. ways, yeah, yeah, the big sweeping landscape. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, Shape of Water is that sort of aesthetically pleasing... It, it, there's so many great symmetrical shots, there's so many shots which really have really balanced elements. Um, so when you're looking at it, I think something like that has odds on. Get Out, I see a lot of things working against it from that angle. It's a film that's primarily 
narrative and character. It's, it's a genre movie. It's a genre movie. Horror movie hasn't won Best Picture since The Big Upset, of a movie also released in February, interestingly enough, um, Silence of the Lambs, 1991. Mm. Mm. It's been a long time. Wow, has it re- really? But that took that took it all back in the day. Yeah, that that, that surprised everyone. That because, was a sweep. That was, was a sweep. Yeah, one of the only three films ever to win the top five. Um, just got to go back to that number again. That number is nine five one four nine five zero zero. Right, I was waiting to take your call. You could um, win tickets to the death of Stalin. Thanks to Madman Entertainment. Uh, it's it's pretty good. Uh, and we and I think what's interesting is about we haven't really talked about three billboards, mm. which yeah. is which has been I, could I, win. I, I think could easily win. I so think, some people are saying it's the favorite. I think it's the Mad Max of this year. It's the film I think most people are going to vote for. But in terms of the system, it won't get a majority. And I don't think there's going to be enough people who work for the other things who will probably preference three billboards enough to get it over the line. I mean, people who vote for Dunkirk, that's that crowd's going to vote for Darkest Hour. Mm. It's going to vote for Phantom thread and there's also like the ladybird get out yeah loading crowd will be very different entirely i don't think it's the mad max because mad max you know pretty much swept everything except director and picture um i think three billboards could there was something else recently that got nominated for i can't remember what it was but it got nominated for everything and won nothing i could easily see three billboards going in that direction because a lot of people are thinking back to when crash won best picture which is you know a movie that a lot of people later came to see as a, being a very bad film um but this the backlash it, yeah. yeah the backlash is already going on like it was going on about about crash at the time but the spread of you know the hate wave on the internet was nowhere near as powerful back then as it is now and the backlash to three billboards has intensified with a lot of people taking issue to the movie saying that it's racist um that it can torpedo in a, in a year where get out could win by being the anti-racist film, that I think is enough to torpedo Three Billboards from taking the big one. Look, I think the main issue with Three Billboards um, actually winning is is a dangerous film. We have very few dangerous films this year. We have Get Out, we have Three Billboards, and to a lesser extent, we have Shape of Water. And then we have a bunch of films that rehash things we've seen before. Lady Bird as well is an exception. Um, love Lady Bird. I, I think Phantom Thread is a little mm-hmm. bit dangerous in yeah, some ways. Yeah, that's true, that's true. But, um, but no one was really engaged. Jennifer Lawrence watched it for all three minutes. Yeah, a lot of people... I was talking to a film critic today before I saw... Um, who was asking me about my Oscar thoughts after I saw uh, Red Sparrow, and she was saying that people were just missing what this movie's about and the subtlety of the relationship. I think mm. that's completely true. But if you do look into it, it is a dangerous film and it does say very interesting things about relationships today and the times we're living in and the changing power dynamics between the genders. But I think, yeah, it's too subtle. People aren't, aren't listening in. Something like Get Out or Three Billboards shoves its political agenda in your face so no one can miss it. But Get Out is a subtle film. The way it does with its plotting, the sequence with the cop pulls them over earlier and the role the girlfriend takes in that. There's a lot of very clever touches, things I'm still getting much later. But at the same time, I think the fact that Get Out is a comedy and at that a horror comedy is going to count against the Academy. The Academy doesn't necessarily reward, even with the vote changing voting, votes and voting patterns, the Academy unless, doesn't really reward these types of films. Unless the Academy are basically the, the white people in the mansion in um, and get out and they're trying to prove that they're cool well what about um i think with get out um what was that film came out earlier the last year or so it was you know he hits a deer going up the hill and then he oh ends up... uh 
Oh, and yeah, Cure yeah. for Wellness. Cure for Wellness. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, there was yeah, a few yeah. films like there was those the yeah. one from uh, at the City Film Festival last year. But go on. Yeah. Um, so I think like Get Out and Cure for Wellness have a few similarities that sort of mm. like in terms of the narrative structure, if nothing else, it's that second guessing of yourself. It's that second guessing of your identity and what your identity is worth um, that makes them really valuable films. Cure for Wellness was obviously not critically acclaimed where Get Out was because they're dealing with very different identity structures. I think the thing is, if you're looking at what's going to win an Oscar, it's not going to be... It's not going to be Cure for Wellness. Well, (laughs) (laughs) that was for everyone. The Eels Eels did it all. Yeah, A much better Jason Isaacs film, however, is The Death of Stalin, which (laughs) we considered shortly. Yes, and I segue thanks to Nick's co, and that number is 95149500 for those free double passes. Um, yeah, um, we've talked a lot about Best Picture, but there's a few other quite interesting categories. Um, I don't know if Bill Hill will take Best Picture, but I think it might just take Best Supporting Actor for Sam Rockwell and Francis McDormand, uh, very likely. I could see Sally Hawkins taking it. Really? Yes, it's probably going to be Francis McDormand, but I could see an upset. I just think there's enough people who find that performance endearing in her, and she is a superb actress. But I know Sally Hawkins hasn't won before. Yeah, I, I think... Shape of Water has going for it that it goes for the heartstrings. I think people, are, you know, they'll have the yeah. Oscar clip of Sally Hawkins, you know, up against the the window and the bus, and people are going to go, oh, and maybe that's been happening a little bit in the last few weeks. I don't know. I could I could see it happening. I mean, I love that Sally Hawkins is basically um, Hellboy. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's the same yep. sequence, you know, with Abe in Guillermo del Toro's other great film where touching the glass, speaking to the animal, but much more romantic, much prettier. And so it could very well do, could very well win. It could also win Best Director for a Director. I think it probably will win Best Director. It's going to win Best Director. Will win they best, go, picture. best Director these days means the movie with glossy, huge production values. That's one at the last, like, five years. It's got to be Shape of Water. They don't go for subtlety in the Best Director anymore. And Del Toro's never won. No. Yeah, but he's never made a movie that's had a chance before. He's a he's a really popular guy around Hollywood. What about Pan's Labyrinth? Pan's Labyrinth was in. I, I can't remember if it was nominated or not. But it that, was not. That, it was not nominated for a bunch of categories, but it was never, you know, really going to win Best Picture. Yeah, fair. I think it's sort of like remember Del Toro. Oh wait, he's back. You know, it's time. <laughs> Yeah, and the other major category is, of course, best actor and, and best supporting actress. I print for well, best money is on Gary Oldman for best actor, best supporting actress. Um, there's a lot of discussion versus Laurie Metcalf versus Alison Jenny. I think Alison Jenny might take it though. Leslie Manville it should, could come. Leslie out Manville from, was amazing in Phantom Thread. I'd love it if it were her. I think it's going to be Laurie Mat- Metcalf. I yeah. feel like Alison Jenny. This is just my feelings about the film coming out, but I felt like that was too much of a caricature. I thought the performance was good, but the way it was written meant that the performance couldn't really sing as like a person I believe is real. She played a, a great like comic one-liner machine, you know, the the like ideal of the hilariously bad mum, but I never really thought until the very end that she was a real person in terms of the complexity of her feelings for Tonya. I used to think, though, that there's always a narrative around actors who have paid their dues and done so much amazing work. And Alison Janney, let's say Laurie Metcalf, has, she has also done amazing work, but certainly Janney, going back to the West Wing and much else, is I think a lot of people feel it's maybe due for a mm. time. And that does play a huge role in the ceremony. The ceremony will be taking place next this Monday night. We'll be talking a little bit more about the winners in our breakdown of it next week. We'll be back in a moment talking about Red Sparrow. This is, we didn't talk about best song. This is Mystery of Love from Call Me By Your Name. We should should probably win but won't win anything and that number again is nine five one four nine five zero zero
Stay tuned. Was Mystery of Love from Call You By Your Name, one of the films that we hope will do well, but we don't necessarily think will do particularly well. The mystery the of why the best films never win, starring Phantom Thread and Call Me By Your Name. <laughs> and look who we have back in the studio, Virat! Yeah, I need to instill some good old positivity on this panel because, boy, that was depressing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we are to... Oh, that's... But Oscars are just Oscars, a depressing Oscars. subject, though. Let's be frank. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're not talking about life and why we're here, but we're here on the show. So let's get on with it. Let's get on with it, and let's talk about Red Sparrow. It is the film of the week. It is in cinemas tomorrow. Speaking it is, of depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it is directed by Francis Lawrence, the thrice Hunger Games veteran, as is Jennifer Lawrence, who is the star of this film, alongside Matthias Schoenertz, Jeremy Irons, Kieran Hines, Charlotte Rampling and Australia's own Joel Edgerton, who is the only actor in this film by my count to actually have a convincing accent. He plays an American, everyone else essentially plays Russians. Nonetheless, they're all really good. This is a, a, quite a cast and all in good form. They are. Uh, this is set, this was uh, set today, essentially, and it is a spy thriller in the best traditions of 80s Cold War thrillers. Uh, I think we don't want to give away too much of it because the thrill is obviously seeing those plots unfold, but I've got to say, this film could have just as well have been made in the 80s. Barr mentions that, you know, you can't, the Russians can't just walk around Hungary. Uh, there are a few mobile phones, and I mentioned by Charlotte Rampling that it actually is set now. I would have known that it was set contemporaneously. One of the early indications was that there's flat screen TVs in a hotel room. I was just watching it thinking like, when is this? Is this 80s or is this contemporary? Because unlike, you know, Atomic Blonde, which I'm going to have to really struggle to avoid comparing this to all throughout our talk about the movie tonight, um, you know, it's not going for the hyper aestheticized, fetishized, like we're in 80s mode with, you know... um, like mournful pop song movie trailer covers of your favorite 80s hits and everyone's wearing huge fur coats. It's just, it's very pared down. The whole movie is pretty pared down, right? It's pretty 
bleak. And it's trying to, I mean, I was reading about the book and it's actually quite interesting. And it's written by a former CIA officer. And the book goes in a lot more detail about the clandestine espionage operations and how you tell someone how you lose a tail. And I think that would actually be much more interesting. Having said that, the film comes the in. It's pretty interesting, at, I think. Oh, I, I, did, I did enjoy it for the most part. It comes in at two and a half hours. Um, look, it has the pretty big staples of the genre. There is a There's mole. Double crosses. It's double crosses. There. Who does, who's agents. this person stand by? What's going on here? But they found a fresh approach. They did. And I don't know how we can talk about it without revealing it, but essentially the characters are able to be at times converse more greatly. More open than you might expect about things that might normally be a secret in this kind of film. And as a cat and mouse thrill, it leads to some very different dynamics and ones I actually quite liked. And it actually explores the drama of this situation, I think, pretty well. It's really about like moral compromise and moral quandaries. It's a real drama about characters, which is quite strange coming from a major studio film. It's yeah, it's interesting that we talk about the moral quandaries of uh, the characters facing, not of the characters, what the characters are facing in this film, because it's very interesting political setting to begin with. I mean, maybe we're going to be going into an environment where. Currently, the American versus Russian dynamic is back, baby. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Cold War never ended. And they say that in the movie. They say exact words. The Cold War never ended. Yeah, Creed 2 is slated for what, November this year? Yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. Have been for a while. I think that was planned before all this blew up, though. This movie is really a slow burn. It was two and a half hours long, but it feels like. It's not always completely edge-of-your-seat stuff, but it, there's enough plot going on to keep you interested. And what I admired about how it's put together is that I am an idiot when it comes to following plots in films. I always get confused about one thing or another, and spy movies do my head in. Love them, but they do my head in. This movie, I thought, it explicated all the um, strange plot turns really, really well. I had no trouble following what was going on. It is quite a complex plot. And it's interesting uh, how we look at how the state machinery works in this movie, not just in terms of Russia, but also what America represents as well. It's a very clear-cut state apparatus versus individualism kind of narrative and what would win in this situation, which is essentially a really interesting take on not just spy characters, but what political ideologies would need to represent in this case. But uh, I'm not sure whether or not I liked as much as Chris did. Uh, because for the most part, I just it just left me as if I was just you know going through the motions a bit. Well, I quite like it. Speaking of how the people deal with the state apparatus, um, a lot of these films, particularly the ones that were set in the, made in the seventies and eighties, were very black and white in the term fiction of morals and uh, and right and wrong. Russia, America. This, uh, particularly through the Joel Edgerton character, who talks about how he deals with his superiors and his bosses, um, doesn't try to draw moral equivalency, but does try to show the other side as such, but at the same time, it is still very, this is what side we're on, this is what we think of this burgeoning issue in our society, and which reflects what happened, or... What I think is interesting about this movie is that the black and white about who's in the right and who's in the wrong starts out very simple in this film. And then by the end of it, it ends up in quite a complicated place, which is almost the opposite of how spy thrillers usually go, where one side reveals itself to be, you know, more in the right, even as people get compromised and uh, wrapped up in more and more webbing. This is a really um, dark film. It's brutal in the violence. Um, I found it 
even though it's depicting a, a world with no way out, I felt like the film avoided nihilism because even though it's depicting people who are feeling nihilistic about their, their circumstances, because I felt this movie builds a lot of empathy for the characters. It really depicts the brutality of violence. Um, it's about the brutality of violence against women as well, to a large extent. It's a harsh watch, but um, done in a way that I felt was not exploitative. Well, I mean, I wanted to start a hashtag justice for Lawrence, realizing just what she's been through in this movie, what she's put through, her character. She's brave. I mean, uh, it's, you know, it's a brutal watch just to see that on screen. But, you know, uh, it is what it is at that point. But I really commend her for taking on this role. And I feel really sad that the major discussions about this film so far in the media have not been about this film at all. And I think well, this film does deserve better than that. I think one of the things is Jennifer Lawrence is just one of the best actresses we currently have, yeah. to be honest. Um, I think she's often overlooked in a lot of ways because of the Hunger Games. Um, it, there's no better way of putting it. She's yeah. seen as a teen actor, whereas like roles like this and even American Hustle, for that matter, it's like she's a really nuanced, impressive performer. She should it, have been nominated for Best Actress for Mother, I think. That was a full-on performance. I, I I disagree about the quality of Mother overall, but I think like Jennifer Lawrence in it is the highlight of that film. Um, yeah, I would say so as well. Yeah, it's, she's just absolutely fantastic in for me, almost she, everything she touches. For me, she was the only, the only highlight of that film and Silver Linings Playbook of all yeah. the Lawrence films that I think absolutely has to be my favourite. And she is superb. She's superb in this. And she is in every sequence. She's dedicated. Mm. Yeah. One last thing I'd like to point out about this film is how well directed it is. I'd kind of written off Francis Lawrence as being some kind of studio hack, but looking at this and also things like Water for Elephant Fence, it's clear mm. he's really trying to hark back to a classical idea of like big Hollywood spectacle without over-stylizing the images. He builds big images that have a lot of emotional impact. He respects the actors and gives them room to breathe. Um, he keeps it moving along in a really sort of professional clip that reminded me a bit of like a David Fincher film in the way that it just, yeah. you know, it's mechanically put together to, you know, elicit the right emotional response, but in a way that is really impressive and that you can lose yourself in and feels right for a cold, you know, essentially a Cold War thriller. Well, I think at one point we're going to have to revisit the Hunger Games and yeah. e evaluate them properly as films outside of their, their His hype film, because, I think, like, mechanically yeah. speaking, they're actually quite good. That's and, right. In and, oh, some sorry. respects, not unlike this film. I think they were trying to go for a very serious version of mm. the themes yeah. of exploring the Hunger Games. It's essentially about a young lady who has to care for her family and goes to quite extreme mm. violence to do so. Um, you could feel the lift up in terms of the power of the filmmaking when Francis Lawrence took over the Hunger Games, in my opinion. And yeah, he's really doing great work here. It feels like it has a sense of grandeur. It has a sense of emotion. You can feel the intensity of the emotions when it all comes together at the end. I felt like the slow burn paid off. I think this is he's really a director that we haven't paid enough attention to and could continue to do really good work in the future. Let me be clear and point this out that not being called a studio hack is probably the biggest compliment we can pay any director at Film Fight Club. So <laughs> Especially one making films on this scale. Yes, this is, this is you know, really impressive to me for a big studio release. Yeah, for studio hacks out there, you know, you know it's an insult, so don't take it as a compliment. <laughs>
So that is Red Sparrow. It is in cinemas tomorrow. Uh, we are giving away some double passes left to The Death of Stalin, starring Jason Isaacs, Jeffrey Tambor, and like this film, a number of very good actors who really don't bother to put on realistic Russian accents. Having said that, this is a comedy and a very funny one at that, which takes place about, well... The death of Stalin. But, but so did Red Sparrow. Nobody bothered to put on good Russian accents for that. So <laughs> oh, I guess yeah, it's just it was... a sign of the times. Well, they, they, they did find a Putin lookalike, so uh, there's that. Have you heard a good Russian accent in films since Eastern Promises is the real question. <laughs> and Va- even that wasn't that good. Since Ivan Drago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that number again is 95149500. And... And we have only a couple of minutes left. Uh, we want to mention a couple of things that are going on this week. Uh, tomorrow night at Sun Studios, 42 Maddox Street, Alexandria, is Kino, which is the short filmmaking night. It's basically an open mic short filmmaking night. Chris and I go along each month, and it's a great deal of fun. Bring along your short films, get feedback. You can work and collaborate with people. It's run by a really cool group, so please do check it out. Um, they do screenings. I think it's the first week of every month at Sun Studio, so definitely worth seeing. Um, Chris is again waiting to take a call. That number is 9514-9500. And the Alliance Francais French to, Film Festival It's is... to win tickets to The Death of Stalin. The Death of Stalin. The Death of Stalin. Go and see The Death of Stalin, which you can win tickets to if you call... 9514-9500. But don't worry, we're not a political show. And we'll be back... And, we'll, and Chris, we'll also be on the air a couple of minutes after the show airs in case you're calling up right after the show and just want to hear our lovely voices um, for the next couple of minutes. But yes, we will be on the lines for a few minutes after the program as well. And the other thing that is happening is the French Film Festival, which started last night and is running through at Palace Cinemas till March 27th. Yes, some really, really interesting films playing the Cislavi, if you haven't seen it, go see it on the big screen, which is always a good experience. There's also Aurore Ava, which was a really interesting film. Back to Burgundy is also really interesting. So some really interesting French cinema, if you want, or just cinema in general, not just French. I mean, we just like movies. So if you like movies, go and check it out. Beats Per Minute, PPM, which is a really, really good take on French activists for the AIDS uh, scenario in the 80s is happening. But that is Stalin giveaway. Get on that. Yes, get on that. It's so much fun. It was the best film of the British Film Festival. It really was. We're so lucky we got a seat in advance, and you get a free pass to see it if you call 9514-9500 in the next few minutes. Hamish, it's been absolutely great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yes, we'd love to have you back on again. Uh, we'll be back next week talking about our Oscars debrief. Um, we'll be fresh off the ceremony, as well as game night, which... I'm really looking forward to the discussion. We've talked a lot about David Fincher this episode, and that is basically a feature-length David Fincher parody. Wow. Rachel McAdams, I love you. So we will be back <laughs> soon. That number is 95149500. Hamish, thanks so much. Great to have you on. We'll be back next week. Have a fantastic night. Call the number to win tickets to the death of Stalin.